Welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcasts. It was one of the largest insider trading rings in U.S. history, and its poster boy, the man whose perp walk made the headlines, was Raj Rajaratnam, the billionaire founder of the Galleon Hedge Fund. In 2011, Rajaratnam was found guilty of 14 counts stemming from an insider trading scheme and sentenced to 11 years in prison. He is out of prison almost two years early thanks to the 2018 First Step Act. Joining me is Peter Henning, a professor at Wayne State University Law School. Peter, Roger Rotnam's case was the highest profile in insider trading in decades. I can almost see the video replaying of him going in and out of the court surrounded by cameras. How significant was his conviction? His case was the key case because it was first. And remember, he had a very aggressive lawyer, John Dowd, who later represented President Trump. And so it was a very hard-fought case. And in fact, The jury was out. Uh, One juror got sick, so they had to bring in an alternate. The jury was out for almost 14 days, and so there was a lot of tension in that period, but it was the key conviction because it was the first one. Also, it was the first insider trading case that was built on wiretapped telephone conversations, and that was something that was usually reserved for the mafia prosecutions before this. Oh, certainly that was the case, mafia or the drug organizations. But under the Wiretap Act, one of the laws that can be the basis for getting a wiretap is wire fraud. And most insider trading cases will include a charge of wire fraud. And that's what let the government start listening into first conversations among some other insider traders, and then eventually they got to Raj Rajaratnam and ended up with some recordings that were, if you will, just pure gold, where information is just being exchanged back and forth. And those turned out to be really what convinced the jury that this was insider trading, not just Roger Rotnam had offered what was called the mosaic theory that maybe I got little tidbits of information, but it was fairly easy to convince the jury that this really was just trading of inside information among his circle. How did his 11-year sentence compare to white-collar sentences before and since then? Well, certainly in the insider trading area, his was one of the longest. Uh, Another defendant, Matthew Kluger, got a 12-year sentence, and someone else kind of on the fringe of this case, V. Goffer, got a 10-year sentence. But certainly this was a very substantial sentence. But when you look at the dollar figures underlying it, the government alleged that Rajaratnam made over $60 million dollars based on inside information. So under the federal sentencing guidelines, that was going to result in a substantial sentence, not as much as the U.S. Attorney's Office asked for, but 11 years really sent a message out that insider trading is a real crime. He's out on home confinement. There was no publicity surrounding his release. In fact, Bloomberg News legal reporter Bob Van Voris was the first to discover it in the media because he noticed that Roger Ottenham's location on the Bureau of Prisons public website had changed. Why was he released early? 
Well, under the First Step Act, which President Trump signed in 2018, one of the provisions of that act allows for older defendants, people who are over 60 years of age and who have potentially serious illnesses. Rajaratnam is a diabetic. And so what the law allows is that they can be switched to home confinement. And so he is currently living at home and is also uh, is able to work outside. This is a way, in a sense, in which you can get more elderly prisoners, nonviolent prisoners, out of the federal prison system and out on their own. We've talked before about former U.S. attorney in Manhattan, Preet Bharara's crackdown on insider trading. How successful was it when you look back now? Well, except for a couple cases. The Newman case was one in which you had convictions overturned, but for the most part, it was a very successful crackdown. You had upwards of over 80 different defendants convicted of crimes or who pleaded guilty. So at least in that regard, it did send a message, although the big one who got away was Stephen Cohen. There was never a case brought against Cohen. There was against his firm. But it was, you know, for a financial crackdown on Wall Street, I think you would have to rate it as a success. So there are still lots of insider trading cases, though none seem to get the headlines that this did. Have traders learned their lesson in any respect? Are they making the same mistakes? I don't think anybody learned their lesson. I mean, we still see insider trading cases going on all the time. Um, Among the more high-profile cases recently was Billy Walters, who got information about Dean Foods, And so what we have seen is that I think inside information is so tempting because it can be so lucrative. You can make a lot of money from it. And so I think people just figure, well, I'll just do it this one or two times and maybe I'll get away with it. And some of them may be getting away with it. But ultimately, I think the Justice Department and the SEC are able to track them down. And so I'm not sure if the message was heard particularly. Going on right now, you have an unusual case involving a father and son in insider trading. Yes, that's the Sean Stewart case, which is before Judge Rakoff in the Southern District of New York. And as I understand, Judge Rakoff has not allowed the prosecutors to use a recording in which the father said that the son told him, I gave you this information on a silver platter. So it'll be interesting to see if prosecutors are able to convict Sean Stewart for essentially telling his father about upcoming deals. And so this will be an interesting case to see, do the prosecutors have enough evidence to get a conviction of Stewart or Is this one of those cases where they just don't have enough? And Stewart was convicted before and then got out after an appeal, and the prosecutors went after him again. We're going to see what happens there. Thanks so much, Peter. That's Peter Henning. He is professor at Wayne State University Law School. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.